It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show, and watch your life grow. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Heidi Bressler. Uh, I, basically, here's what I did. I saw this show, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I became a junkie. In fact, I was talking to a publicist this morning who represents a good friend of mine, Brian Tracy, and she just found out that I, I was a, a, an apprentice junkie, but she goes even a step further. She went out, and she had parties based upon The Apprentice and would watch every episode and do predictions and have psychics come on and try to figure out who's going to get fired and that. I mean, so I thought I was, a, you know, the number one fan. Apparently not. You have one in Oregon or somewhere. But this I actually have fans all the way in Australia, um, across the country, London, Brazil, Canada. It's great. You get fan That is absolutely incredible. That is absolutely incredible. So I sent Heidi Bressler an email saying, I've got to talk to you because I think you're absolutely phenomenal. I just loved your spirit and energy on, on the show. And so let's get started with basically giving, letting people know a little bit about you. Where are you originally from, Heidi? I'm originally from Wayne, New Jersey. It's about 15 minutes outside of uh, Manhattan. Okay, fantastic. What was it like growing up as uh, young Heidi Bressler? Big family, small family? You know, I, it's one sister, but uh, we were very very close and the funny thing I was like you're a typical second child I was always rebellious and I was never bad like I always did well in school but you know when we would get in trouble my sister would be very quiet and I would always talk back to my father you know he'd be like or I'd block him out and be like are you listening to me I'm like yeah I just don't have anything to say so I was always outspoken I mean I and I don't cuss in the wrong situation, but actually my first word I ever said was the F word because I was getting into my parents' car and I fell out of the car. I fell out, and my parents were like, "Oh my God, are you okay?" And yeah, so the words didn't come out of the <laughs> words didn't come out of my mouth. My parents both both blame each other. Well, so so, we were a very close family. <laughs> so uh, what we saw on the show is what is actually Heidi Bressler. No act put on, huh? You know, it's funny because yeah, that was me. And any other contestant that complains about the editing, you can't, you cannot edit what you did not do. Even almost, I mean, we all, that, I lived with these people. It portrayed us 100%. I mean, that was who we are. And that's me. I'm feisty. I'm aggressive. And 
but I'm loyal. I was always loyal on the show, but if you get me mad and if you backstab me, I can be one mean person. <laughs> now, I know you're being kind and gentle on the call. When we talked uh, last time, it was like no holes barred. <laughs> Aren't I supposed to be politically correct? You don't have to be politically correct oh. on this call, honey. Oh, okay. Just be yourself. <laughs> How many times I do shows and so many times I do radios, like, Heidi, uh, please uh, hold back. I'm like, okay, so that's why I was holding back. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should be afraid or not. <laughs> you might be able to. <laughs> so, I mean, that was us. I mean, you know, it's just so funny when people complain about it, but that's me. I mean, even trying out for it, I was still aggressive. I remember going in there, and they told me it was only going to be in L.A., Mark Burnett and one other producer. Uh-huh. And when I walked into the room, there were 15 producers there. I just was livid. And I, walk, and I was never desperate. I was never scared to get on the show. I was just doing it to see if I could do it. And I remember walking in. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> when I go to a meeting, I know who's going to be there, what time it is, and I'm pissed off. And Mark Burnett immediately, he's like, I love you. You're awesome. So, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was always myself, always. You now, know, you, I remember you saying that you were that you and all the contestants were pretty much blindsided as a result of being on the show. There were a lot of things that you guys just didn't know and didn't see coming. As far as watching the show? Well, as far as being on the show and it kind of how they had set up the show, you didn't know that the show was not necessarily to be politically correct. You also didn't know that when you were in the boardroom, remember, uh, I don't know if the people on the, sh- on the call remember, well, you know, when, in the boardroom when Omarosa, you know, basically said you had no class or was low class and, and did all those things. Now, in real life, that would have been a different situation, but you guys were kind of cloaked in, into believing that this was supposed to be a politically correct kind of situation. Absolutely, and what I said is the apprentice too, they have an edge on us because they're going to watch the episodes, they're going to study it. And I would, I would say that, you know, when we went into the boardroom, we really thought it was a boardroom. We thought that you had to be politically correct. In real life, if someone had called me unprofessional and classy, which I don't even get into with Omarosa, I mean, look at her website. I mean, as I say now, it's the pot calling the kettle black, and I love using that word because <laughs> she'll think I'm a racist. <laughs> you know, it's funny, but we didn't know. If, now, the second apprentice going in, if I was going on the second season, I would be screaming at Omarosa. I'd be calling her every name in the book because that's what they wanted. But then, I also know for a fact, you know, you study Donald Trump, he wants to see, like, he gets criticized all the time, and you just get to, you know, roll it off and not care about it. I really, to, honest to God, I was laughing. I really didn't care what she called me, because I knew she was an absolute lunatic. But, you know, going, looking back at it now, I think I would have been a lot more, even more feisty than I was on the show. I mean, I think I would have tore her apart. That's the question, of course, that everyone would ask. If you had the opportunity to do it again, what would you have done? So you just basically said you would have really lit into her. But you guys yeah. seem to be friends in the beginning. Everyone says that. It's so funny. It's, um, you know, remember... Well, that editing? Well, for every 300 hours tape, that's one minute airtime. So there's only so much that they can show and that they cannot show. And they did a very good job on storylines and showing who we are. However, the, day, the very first day, I remember they... The producers must have saw that Omarosa and I have friction because they interview. You know, they they always take us out for interviews and like, what do you think of Omarosa? Mm, mm-hmm. In the first five minutes, I'm trying to be politically correct. I'm like, oh, she's great. She's this, and I could see them laughing. The day after, like, what do you think of Omarosa? I mean, I'm like, she's a lunatic. She's a liar. <laughs> it wasn't being friends. It was. This is how I looked at it. It was strategy because since we worked on every task together, I'm like, we have to be civil. Mm. But believe me, believe me, and it will probably come out in the DVD in August when she did not. My middle finger was always up behind her. I was always calling her loser behind her back. Like, I destroyed her off camera. Destroyed her. And i never forget, when she, when that cement dropped on her head, she was, it was a nightmare. She was saying she was going to sue Trump. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. She, it was a nightmare. 
And I remember saying, like, yeah, her lawsuit is about as real as Donald Trump's hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't use this on TV. You can't say that. Because Donald Trump has 50% ownership. He would never like that. It wasn't friends with Omarosa. It was being, if we're going to fight constantly, I knew that he would absolutely hate it and he would absolutely, it would go against me. So I tried my best and I bit my tongue in a lot of situations. Mm. So I finally couldn't handle it anymore. Talk to me about your ambition. Where did this thing, where did this, this feistiness come from? Your, your motto is, you know, never give up no matter what. Where did that come from? Absolutely. Even when I was, it, it, I mean, even when I started in high school, you have to leave. I mean, I was always, don't laugh about this because I'm so not the cheerleader type, but I was a captain and I was a captain of everything that we had these Every kind of competition, I was, a comp I was the captain of, and I always made sure I won. So I was competitive at that age. Mm. From there, I went to college, and I was always competitive. I always had to get the best grades. And then, it's ironic, I always had a passion for criminology. So I went to American grad school. This is one of the best in the country for criminology. Mm. And I loved it. But as I was at my internship, I remember, I'm like, this is not for me. I want something with more glamour, more the sky's the limit where I can interact with people, and, I, and I'm money hungry. So, and I remember, like, I'm going into sales, and I remember it was a week before graduation, and I called my parents, and my dad's like, okay, so we just wasted two years in grad school. I'm like, you got it. I go, but I'll be making more money. <laughs> Again, everyone's wishes. I mean, everyone wow. told me I couldn't do it. No one, everyone said, you can't do sales, Heidi. You'll never be successful. You're going to move to a brand new city not knowing a soul. Really? That motivated me even more. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I listened to them, I would still be in a navy blue suit working in Washington, D.C. I didn't listen to anybody, and I said, this is what I want to do. I know I'm good at it. And even just for a fluke, I tried to get this high position sales in Washington, D.C. I went in. I beat all of my other competitors. I had no experience. I ultimately turned down the job because I did not want to stay in Washington. But make a long story short, I got into sales from there. My first sales job, I was literally on the streets getting to know it from the ground up. And then my client recruited me at the dot-com industry. From there, I landed at Quest. And um, I was always the number one sales rep. And I'm very competitive. I was always competitive. I always had to be the top. So when I saw a commercial for The Apprentice, I'm like, this is, this is perfect. So that's how you found out about it. You saw a TV commercial. Exactly. What, what allured you to it? Well, it, it came at the right time. Quest treated me very well for many years. Mm -hmm. And however, they're going, it just wasn't the same company that I initially worked for. The commission plan was horrendous. Mm. Um, the morale was low. My manager was about as competent as Omarosa. <laughs> That's to say the least. And I just, I, it just happened. I saw a commercial. I'm like, why not? So I saw an open casting call, and I remember it was 100 degrees outside. I said, there's no way I'm wearing a suit to this open casting call. So I'm in line with a thousand of other people in suits, up tight, and I'm in a miniskirt and shirt and flip-flops. And even then, I was just very laid back, and they asked me about a business situation, and I literally, this one guy just pissed me off. They take 10 at a time, and they ask a business situation. Mm -hmm. And this one guy kept saying to me, he's like, let that person speak. So finally, I'm like, excuse me, who the, who the F are you? I'm like, are you his freaking spokesperson? And I just went off, and I knew the casting people loved it, and they called me back, and, you know, I just made it. I mean, even my application, I never thought twice. I just put the answers that came to mind, and... Um, my answers are always funny, and they're always myself, and I made it. And, you know, at first I was hesitant to do it because I knew it'd be giving up stuff. I'd be giving up a career, but ultimately I knew more doors would open. Well, that's interesting but that you say that. Go ahead, go ahead. To say the least, I am the only contestant, probably on any reality show, that has gotten paid to do it. That's why I'm a genius in sales. Wow. That's amazing. Hello, are you there? This line is now muted. This line is now unmuted. Are you there? 
Did you do I didn't do that. I don't know who did that. That wasn't me. Go ahead. But you're the only one that got paid for the show because that's how good you are and competent in sales. Yeah, because you know what? This is my incompetent manager. But again, as, um, I will say my book, respect your manager. Do not rely on him. Mm. So anyway. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So he never submitted my email to the director that I was taking this time to do um, a business reality show. Really? And um, yeah, they paid me. They paid me my commissions and they paid me my salary. I mean, even the psychologist on board, they always have a psychologist. Mm-hmm. She was like, You're ne-, she's like, I've never heard of this. So I got paid to do The Apprentice. That and is then, amazing. Um, that is absolutely amazing. Who are some of your role models coming up and, and just not necessarily in sales, but just in life in general? I, th- I think a lot of it for me is personal. Um, not like role models like people say Oprah or, you know, even Bill Clinton, which is scary. But not me because for me, my dad is one of my biggest role models. My dad came from nothing, um, grew up very, very poor. And in fact, he wanted to be a cowboy growing up. And my grandma said, if you want a convertible, you better go be a doctor. Wow. So he was like, all right, I'll be a dentist. So he was a dentist. And my dad always... You know, taught me the value of a dollar. When I was in Ithaca College, everyone was driving Mercedes, and I was driving a Toyota Tercel. My dad always said, if you want a Mercedes, which I have now, he said, you have to work hard for it, and that's something that I'm not going to give to you, which I respect. Mm. And also my grandma. My grandma's 92. She plays golf and tennis. My grandma works five jobs just to send my dad to school. So those are the two people that I admire the most, because I know them. I'm not going to admire somebody that I don't know, that I have no interaction with. Now, when you met Donald Trump, what was your first experience like with Donald? It's really funny. When I first found out about the show, I'm like, you know, Donald Trump's the most arrogant jackass in the world. He's so 1980s. He's such a has-been. This is going to be a joke. I hate him. And then immediately, the first day I stepped in the boardroom, I loved him. I absolutely loved him. He's so funny. I could tell he had heart. He didn't take crap from anybody. And ultimately, we always had this chemistry, Donald. He was never, ever mean to me. He was always so nice to me. I mean, think about it. The first boardroom I had... When he was said, Heidi, you've been so quiet. And I said, well, you've never addressed me. Anybody else he would have fired on the spot. But me, he didn't know what to say. He's just like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm like, like, okay. I remember that. And, and he just, I, I absolutely, he's so funny. And I've learned so much from him till now. It has helped me in so many ways. And at times it hurts me because I'm like, wait a second. I'm talking like I'm some billionaire. You know, he could talk like that. I can't. Mm. But it makes me even more aggressive. And I have no tolerance Especially now, and well, you'll, I'll tell you, when I left Quest, I mean, they tried to, uh, I had to, you know, to pursue other opportunities, but they owed me money, but I went straight to the top, and I said, you know, you're going to either work with me or against me. If you work against me, I t- I'm telling you, you're going to lose because I'm going to expose this company for what they are. Mm. I got what I want. I would have never said this if it wasn't for meeting Trump and him telling you to stand up for yourself no matter what. I remember that. I remember that, and that was one of the reasons why you got fired, because you did not stand up uh, for yourself, but... You went. You were going through some stuff. Talk to us about the call that you got from. Did you make the call, or did your mother call you, to, and you found out that your mom had cancer? No, I didn't speak to my mom after the operation. I actually called my sister to see what's going on, and I could see in her voice that something was wrong. And then she told me, and it was, everyone, everyone thinks it was my dad that was on the phone. It wasn't. It was my sister. Oh. And um, she told me. Ultimately, it's for the best. I mean, knock on wood, my mom's cancer free, but my mom. You know, it was a very, immediately, it wasn't, my mom, first of all, was in the hospital 15 minutes outside of Manhattan. I know my mom very close with her. She said, you cannot leave the show. You have to do this for me because, oh, I'm just getting an operation. There's nothing you can do, and I need you to be on the show. Mm. Immediately, like, I'm staying on the show, and it was, it had me more focused. And it's really what I'm a very, very strong person, so it was devastating to hear, but literally, 
um, the producers were wonderful about it. I mean, they always updated me. My sister was always had contact with her cell phone, and I was able to talk to my mom. But the one thing they did edit, which really I have to say bothered me, I saw it on the repeat. That day I got fired, that episode. I was I didn't talk to my mom all that day, you know, and they said, oh, how are you talking to her mom? That was taped like three days before. I was like, oh, my mm. God. But, you know, it didn't. It was, the only thing that distracted me the day that I got fired was that morning I went to visit my mom in the hospital right before the task. So she was doing great. But to see your mom in the hospital bed with tubes up, my focus wasn't there at that particular task. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, you said you were relieved, though, actually, when you got fired. Yeah, because now I'm mad. Because now I look at it, I'm like, damn it. Damn it, I would have I killed Carolyn. And actually, Carolyn and I are friends now. I would have killed her then. I would have been like, <laughs> I didn't do this. I would have named everything that I've done. I would have been like, I would have gone off. But um, it was just relieved. You're, you're literally, we were working seven days a week. You're getting two hours of sleep a night. You're not having a day off. And I was, you know, the tenth up, you know, the tenth went off. So it was coming to near the end. I was literally exhausted mentally and physically. And you're not eating right. You're not exercising. And... All I want to do is go shopping at Barney's. That's all I <laughs> and I remember the producers came up to me like, Heidi, please fight. Like, they thought I was going to resign in there. And I just said, all right, I'll fight. And even when I was in there, I mean, I basically fought just to fight. And they knew it. I mean, come on, they communicate with Trump and Carolyn and George. I mean, they knew I was not going to really give it my all in that specific episode. Yeah, yeah. What was the uh, task for that, that episode? Uh, that task was the pedicab, and that was the worst task. I absolutely despise that task. You had to raise the most money? No, no, no. The, most the pedicab task was running, it was basically managing a fleet of pedicabs okay. in New York City, and the other team thought of a brilliant idea, which was advertising. And right. Actually, it wasn't Amy's idea, it was Bill's idea. Oh, really? Yeah, the way they had it edited, Amy said, yeah, advertising on a rickshaw. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Amazing. But it was actually Bill's idea. Absolutely amazing. Uh, let's do this. Let's open up the lines real quick and take a couple of comments and questions to Heidi Bressler, and we'll continue on with the interview. Anyone out there uh, wants to come on and ask uh, Heidi a question or to uh, make a comment, hit six, unmute your lines, and come on out. Otherwise, we'll Hi. keep going. Hello? Am I out? Yes, you're in. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you're not out here. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> Who is this? This is Jean. Hey, Jean. How are you? Come on out. Great. Heidi, I just love the fact that you're open and you just stand up for yourself. And um, I'm a lot older than you, and I thought, you know what, it's about time I start doing this instead of always trying to not hurt people's feelings. Oh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that awful? Absolutely. No, no. You know what it is? You, like, even at, when I worked at Quest, and I learned so much from Quest, you, I always say you may anger some people along the way, but at the end of the day, you have to show people that you're not going to tolerate crap from anybody. And sometimes people think I'm a hard ass, and I am. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that people can't step on you. And once they realize that, you get a lot more accomplished in the business world and even in personal life. I mean, people know I, I will not ever step down, and you will always have to stand up for yourself because look what happened to some of the, especially the women. If they didn't defend themselves, they were out. Mm, and I have spoken since I was three years old. I can't help it. I can't change it about myself. <laughs> don't. You don't want to. Thank you. Great question, Jean. Anyone else who has a comment or question for Heidi Bressler? Yeah, Heidi, this is Wendy. Um, I wanted to ask you what made you, you were talking about when you got into sales from high school, and what made you want to get into sales, and um, also what advice can you give the callers in getting started in sales? Absolutely. Actually, it was from grad school, and that's why I'm going to write this book because I receive over 
I've received over 100,000 emails asking me about sales. I had no sales experience. And if you ever notice, there's not a college course that teaches sales. It's just in there. You One does not need to have to study to be in sales. I think that... Listen, you don't, it's not even a product that you know. You're, it, ultimately, you're selling yourself. And I would say that anyone, I decided going into sales from having a criminology background. I was very good with people. I was very aggressive. And anyone that goes into sales, my advice for them is, yes, focus on the product. But focus on your, treat your clients like family. Do not treat them. I see so many in treating their clients, and they, they come across like a used car saleswoman. Mm. A used car salesman, sorry. As a woman, we have an advantage. We're more nurturing. It's just by nature. And... To be in sales, if you treat your clients like family and if you have patience, if, it may take me two years to close an account, but if it's a big one and it's worth it, all of my clients that I had at Quest, I'm still friends with them today. And I think that is what made me was so successful. I always treated them like family. Once I made the sale, I didn't just pass them along. I always made sure they were happy. And going into sales, it's a, I would say that it's a very, very cutthroat, brutal industry. But... You know what? It's very rewarding at times, and you just have to block out all the BS around you and focus on the sales, and anyone, and I mean anyone can do it. At Quest, I was not the most technical person. There were people who blew me out of the water who knew more about the product, but the problem was they couldn't sell themselves, so therefore they were probably one of the worst sales reps in the company. Fascinating. Also be careful, like, what field you go into sales. For instance, everyone always told me, oh, pharmaceutical sales, Heidi, it's the best so glamorous it's the greatest so I interviewed and they wanted and I feel like it's their loss now and I remember you know I was 23 years old and they're like well we want three years of sales experience and we want this meanwhile I don't even think it's a sales you're not selling anything all you're doing is kissing butt all the day and you're not even making a lot of money doing it three years experience what I would say for sales like my first sales job I was literally it was you needed look for a sales job that's one year experience and the reason why I say this you're not, you may not make so much your first year, but you're going to get that hands-on experience. And after one year, doors were open. And when well, my advice to that is to say, okay, you will see you have no sales experience. But once you have that first year sales experience, when I went to my second job, my client recruited me, and they were hesitant because I only had one year. But I proved to them, and I kept all my sales stack rankings. I kept all of my accomplishments. And it ultimately was selling myself on the interview. And I'm like, you know what? You don't need five years of experience. I've seen salespeople who've been in this company for seven years, and they still, you know, can't sell ice to an Eskimo. It, I wouldn't go back on basically on the years, how many years. That doesn't qualify you. It's what you can do in that time you're selling. So sometimes you may have to take a step down to take a step up in sales. Start off, like, with a company that you're going to get your hands dirty and learn and only save with it for a year and then move on. And I'm telling you, it's so easy to get other sales jobs from that. Heidi, let's talk about uh, a little bit more about sales and something that you guys did, Protégé did very, very well on The Apprentice on the show. Um, but you also got reprimanded for this, and I know you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I'm getting ready to say and that is, does sex sell? Yeah, that's going to be another chapter in my book. Here's the thing that they didn't show. Sex sells. And we always use strategy behind every task we did. We didn't go into a task and say, oh, my God, we're going to sell sex. Now, I will say this for the record. I do not agree with what Christy did. Handing out your phone numbers and promising dates, that is crossing the line. And that specifically showed you that she never had corporate experience, which mm. she didn't. Because that was, that was absolutely pathetic. And there's a reason why the producers put that in. I would never do that. That's just ridiculous. However... There's a difference between using, I wouldn't say using sex to sell. When you're selling lemonade, okay, lemonade we were selling, and, yeah, you have to flirt. You have to be a little bit sexy. Guess what? We're going to win that game. Now, as far as the Marquija ad, 
We used a sexy campaign, and the reason we did, when we got that task, we immediately researched Donnie Deutsch. Donnie Deutsch is the most provocative advertising agency out there, and if you look at any of his ads, they're shock value, they're provocative, and sometimes even borderline offensive. Mm. So we knew that if we went with something boring, he'd hate it. So that's why we used the sex, and it worked. And, you know, he loved it. I just saw him a month ago, and he's like, I loved your ad. I hated the men. <laughs> you know, I mean, we knew it. And Planet Hollywood, this is what really got me mad, because, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I sold about 70% of the shots. Now, I didn't just sell to men. I sold to 80-year-old women. I sold to... 30-year-old women, I sold to 50-year-old women. It wasn't just men I sold. You saw that shot when, it was funny because all the girls sold me selling shots and then mm -hmm. they focused on that one big guy and they sold, and, you know, and the camera caught on to that. Right. But it's a liquor sales in a restaurant. And I don't think, I think some, we didn't really use sex to sell on that one. It's just, in Planet Hollywood, it was hurting the restaurant and I knew that the bars would, it would the shots would sell. So... I wouldn't say sex does sell, and I've been in sales, but it's to a certain extreme. You can flirt, you can use your charm, but if you don't cross that line, there's nothing wrong with it. I've seen men use sex to sell as well, and it's just the fact of the matter is, is they can't get away with a lot of things that women can, mm -hmm. and so therefore we get penalized for it. Fascinating. Speaking of sex sales, were you in a relationship when you went to The Apprentice? Were you dating anyone you know, at the time? Yeah, I was dating this guy who I really liked, and you, unfortunately, I couldn't tell him why I was going away for so long. So it's funny because we broke up, and I remember we were allowed to check our emails once in a while, but obviously they were always monitored and we were watched. And he's like, really? where the hell are you? Yeah, he's like, where the hell are you? This is offensive, Heidi, because I couldn't respond to him. Oh, no. And, for two, How yeah. many months? Three months? Two months. Two months. Yeah. Wow. And since then, he didn't like all the attention that I gave. But we're, we're civil now, but, you know, nothing will ever be the same because he did not. He, he's just a different, he's a more private person. But it's funny because it's more like dating backlash because you get all these emails and guys coming up to you, and I'm like, well, what's their motivation? Why? Because immediately you'll go on a date with a man, and they all of a sudden they talk about The Apprentice, and they love the people that come up to you and ask for your autograph. So it's kind of like dating backlash. And, and the next guy I date is going to be someone who didn't watch The Apprentice, which really hard to do, unless they've been sitting in a hole somewhere, you know? <laughs> now, that's going to be difficult. At least they're going to know who Donald Trump is. I mean, come on. Exactly, exactly, exactly. How has your life changed as a result? of the fame. Have you found new phony friends and people who are just clinging on to you just because of who you are? You find, you know, it's really crazy. You would think that it would have died down by now. It doesn't. You know, you get stopped. I was just in L.A. and, you know, get, I mean, in L.A., come on. I mean, I, you don't think they'd be starstruck, especially a reality show, but they were. I mean, bombarded with fans. And it's funny because I was with Jessie, but no one recognized her. And, they all, and she was really good about it. They all recognized me. Like, we love you on the Apprentice side. You rock. And it's just funny, but you do get emails from people that you haven't spoken to in 10 years. And I don't mind if they email me, good luck, and we love doing The Apprentice, but it bothers me when, like, give me a call sometime. It's really funny. And it's changed my life, and it's opened up so many doors, and it's allowed me to be almost an entrepreneur. I loved working for Quest at the time, but I realized that I don't want to work for a corporate giant anymore. There's so much red tape, and you're making millions of dollars for a company, and you're not seeing half of that. And I just didn't want to follow their set of rules anymore. So it's allowed me to make money. I'm working a lot harder, but it's allowed me to do stuff for myself and also enjoy myself for the first time well, in a you long know, time. You know what I like is that uh, I remember you telling me that you would rather, <clears throat> you, you couldn't settle any longer making 40 k a year. You wanted to make 40 k a month. Yes. That and stuck with me. Well, no, I, that was when I was at in Washington. I knew, I, I researched, and the, the people, the top, top people in the company were making, this was at Quest, this was at the National Center for Mystic Exploited Children, mm -hmm. top, 
the top people are making 70K. Now, they're there for 20 years. And the average person is making 40K. I'm like, get out of here. That, I can't. I can't be happy with that. There's no way. I want to make that per month. And I knew that in sales, I the sky's the limit. I knew that I could make a lot more money in sales. And it wasn't, I mean, yeah, money is a motivational factor, but it was also, I love a challenge. I love interacting with people. But, you know, I knew that in a government job, the money was not going to be there. So. Mm. And I was, you know, I was politically incorrect there. I remember I was driving to my job at the internship. Mm-hmm. And someone cut me off, and I gave him the middle finger. Well, it turns out someone that that worked at the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, and you know, you'd think it's funny. I didn't know it was that person, and they're like, "Hi, uh, giving me a whole lecture on it." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You guys are so uptight. Get it, get over yourself." I'm like, "I didn't know it was a person that worked for the damn center." <laughs> and I realized that they're too politically correct. I mean, I literally swore like a truck driver. I never wore a suit to work. I'm I always dressed my little trendy cute clothes, and I did everything the wrong way. Like, I broke every single rule, yet I was always the top rep, and mm. there's a reason for that. Where did you get your sense of style from? Because you, you are a flashy dresser. Where did that come from? I love clothes. I love magazines. I, I'll tell you. Now, here's a funny question me. before you answer that. Do you know? Do, uh, you remember the Isaac Mizrahi piece, right? Yeah, of course. Did you know who Isaac Mizrahi was? Of course. I was so amazed that most people didn't know who he was. He was He's phenomenal. He's huge. Isaac Mizrahi is great, and I love it. <laughs> Omarosa can pronounce his name, and you got you wouldn't pay me a million dollars to help her pronounce that name. He was an idiot. You know, he he was great. I, I I loved him. I mean, he's such a character. But you know, I just love clothes. I loved it. And you know, when I was in Washington, it was hard because you weren't making the money where you can buy the clothes that you want to. And now it's great. Like now, I have Katrina's wedding in two weeks, and dresses are being given to me. So it's just funny how things turn out. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. What else did you learn from from Donald Trump? Now, of course, you've known of Donald Trump for years, and there was a reason why you were allured to to be his apprentice. But what was it that you really wanted to get from from Donald Trump? Well, ultimately, you want to be the apprentice. But other than that, I learned so much from him. You have to be passionate about what you do, and Mm. you have to love what you do, because if you don't, you will not be successful no matter what. And I realized that when I was there. I'm like, do I really like being at Quest anymore? My boss is an asshole. My boss sucks. (laughs) He is the most incompetent person I've ever met. And I'm like... That was one thing I learned from, like, okay, there's so many other doors opening to me from this. I also learned, go to the top no matter what. And it just doesn't mean on going to the CEO. I mean, come on, that was business 101. But Mm -hmm. it means if there's a problem, escalate. I don't care. I go right to the source. I am not, I bypass everyone on the totem pole and I go to the top because that's the only way you're going to get the job done. It's another thing I learned from him. And believe me, it worked. Mm -hmm. And it's worked for me now. And... You know what? Would also help me with sales. Being in sales, and I learned from him. You're not. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some, and you're not going to win every deal. And I've seen some of the contestants seriously do a downward spiral because it's a very funny industry we're in now. And if they, if a deal, if they don't get a speaking gig or if they don't get a book deal, they become depressed. But mm. because I was in sales, you know what? I'm not going to win every deal. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some, and you got to move on. And um, I learned that from him. I mean, I'm, I thought I was outspoken before. I'm even more outspoken now, and uh, I love it because he taught me so much. He's so cocky and he's so egotistical. You know what? But it works. Mm, I fascinating. Love it. Fascinating. So I, I learned that from him. Where did you get this bounce back uh, flavor from? Where you don't take uh, no personally, you don't take rejection personally. That is part of the sales game, is it not? The sales. That's what I learned it in sales. I learned it in sales when my first sales job. I got really upset cold calling. That's what we all we did was my first sales job. And I remember this guy, 
He was this Japanese guy. I was like, don't you ever call me again? And he slammed the phone. I was like, oh. And then I just started laughing about it. I'm like, oh, my God. Asshole. And then I was just, like, laughing about it. And now I'm just like, you know what? I've, you've lost deals. You get yelled at on the phone. You get yelled at in person. And it makes you, again, you start off this process with thick skin, and you end with skin of, ste- skin of steel. Wow. Same fuck, skin of steel. And it's just, that's what taught me. You cannot take it personally, and you can't. And, you know, I'll be like, you know, and I'm, I have a new manager now because my first manager wasn't doing anything for me. I didn't feel bad. It's not personal. It's like the show said, it's business. Mm. And you know what? You can't take things personal in life, and you've got to move on. If a deal wasn't meant to be, a deal wasn't meant to be. You can't sulk over it. Life's too short. Now, you know what I'm hearing is that really sales cannot be taught in school. That's the problem. Sales can't be taught. Like when that one woman asked how to become in sales, it's a natural. You can't teach somebody to be in sales. They're either good at it or they're not. You can teach anybody the product. The product's easy to learn, but you can't teach someone how to sell. It's in their genes, and you're either good at it or you're not. You're either excellent or you're fair. You know, can you see Omarosa as sales? I mean, you saw her selling the bottle of water. She was pathetic. <laughs> and it goes right through. She's very fake and phony, and yeah. people don't want to hear that. So, yeah, you can't. That's unfortunately, and that's why they probably don't teach courses. I mean, it's in your blood. But, you know, it's funny because there's not one person in my family who's in sales. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. absolutely amazing. My parents always say, where the heck did we get you from? Like, I don't know. <laughs> God only knows where you got me from. <laughs> uh, questions and comments for Heidi Bressler, cast member of first season of The Apprentice. Come on out on the call. Hey, Heidi. Yes? Hi, this is Mary Diamond from Chicago. Hey, Philippe, how you doing? Hey, Mary, how are you? Good. Um, I love how you use the F word, and, you know, I love your nasty language. But um, what's the extent of that? I mean, how how far do you take it, like, in business? Well, that's the point that really got me annoyed. I have to tell you, I do swear. However, I don't swear in certain situations. If you, Every other contestant, they cuss like a truck driver, but they focus on me because that was part of my character. I never, ever would swear in the boardroom. I never swear if I'm at a meeting unless my client does. You know, I never swear in inappropriate situations. You know, when I'm on the Today Show and I'm doing um, CNN, I'm not going to swear. There are certain places for it. And if you saw the time that I cussed, it was on the streets of New York or it was in the privacy, well, quote-unquote privacy of our own suite. That was our home. Mm-hmm. I never swore in the boardroom, and I never swore when we were at client meetings. So there is a line that you have to cross. And, you know, it's funny because if you guys know Donald Trump, he swears every five minutes. When I met with him a month ago, he was in his office. I counted. He swore 15 times within, like, eight minutes. You know, it's just the way it is, and he does it, and he curses at his employees. That's why when I was talking to Carol, and they were laughing because they purposely said, oh, Marosa, what's the F-bomb? I mean, it was ridiculous. But there is a place that, you know, when I cussed at work, at Quest, I always cussed in my cubicle. I didn't swear when I knew I shouldn't be swearing. So there is a place and time for and I never did it where I shouldn't have. Phenomenal question. Great answer. Now, you were also here in Chicago, and you were on Oprah. Yes. And I remember watching that episode, and here's something that kind of disturbed me, and I remember it kind of sent a little ripple across the country. <clears throat> Amarosa got a chance to sit up there next to Oprah, whereas you and the other gals were sitting in the audience. What was going on at that, at that moment? Was there a lot of tension between you two? Well, here was the thing. First of all, we had no idea. Now, 
I think they had to separate Erica and Omarosa because of the whole racial accusation. But when they did that, when I first saw Omarosa come on the stage, that's when I shut down. I was like, I'm like, Oprah, you've got to be kidding me because that was an absolute joke. I mean, she was basically siding with Omarosa, who basically was a liar. She threatened to sue Trump, and she lost the job for Kwame. So it's really funny that she would kind of reward her for bad behavior. And that's why when when Oprah started bringing up the whole racial incident, and then they were asking me, I wasn't getting involved with that. It was not, you know, Oprah turned that specific show into a Jerry Springer show. It was insulting, Mm. and it was downright rude and pathetic. And for that, I would never go on Oprah again. I was absolutely disgusted by it because it it treated Erica and I like peons, and it rewarded Omarosa for her absolute absolute pathetic behavior and it was just it was it was revolting to be quite honest with you now would you agree that i remember seeing that episode uh or that show and donald trump kind of turned on amorosa at the end he was just basically saying i don't want to hear anything from you anymore you mean at the finale i mean i'm sorry at the finale yes yeah you know what donald also got a lot of grief from the oprah show because he was so nice to her did he really and, you know, yeah and he got a lot carolyn told me too she gave him a lot of grief and you know, it's it, talk about not. He's never politically correct. It was ridiculous, and he was about to call her out. He had to call her out on it. I mean, she always came up with excuses, and he hates excuses. And it was nice to see that he finally called her out on it. I mean, she, she's just, she's not a role model for. She shouldn't be a role model for any professional. She does not have her PhD. She lied about that. She's never held a job. She was, I mean, I think she was a secretary for the government. I mean, she lied about everything. Yes, she was great casting because she was great TV. But as far as business goes, I mean, my five-year-old nephew could run business better than she can. And it was about time that someone called her out on it. Wow, that's amazing. You know, Kwame is a very you know, good guy, very smart, highly educated, qualified guy. Why do you think he made the decision, especially after knowing the kind of character that Omarosa was, why do you think he made the decision to bring her back? on his team because that was really the deciding factor of losing and winning I think it was close absolutely was a losing factor and it wasn't necessarily oh he says well you couldn't fire her but you know what you let her get away with so much Mm. you ran the show and she ruined it for you and you didn't he wasn't like I said in the show and I didn't really mean it like micromanaging Mm -hmm. but I meant that we needed some kind of management he let her get away with everything I think he picked her at first because I think he felt bad I mean, it's not that, you know how she'd always say, oh, you're, you're my brother, and you're this, and I think he kind of felt bad that she, that he picked her for the boardroom, and I think he felt like he, almost like he owed it to her in a way. Mm. I, I don't understand, in some twisted way, I think he felt bad, and that he had to owe it to her, and it's a shame, because Kwame is a great guy, he is so smart, so intelligent, um, he just has a business, different business style, he's not very demanding, and he doesn't like to reprimand, and he doesn't like to yell, mm-hmm. and unfortunately that cost him his apprenticeship. Well, you know, on the show, they had a little bit of the, uh, they played up the, uh, a little bit of the loved interest between uh, uh, Amy and Nick. Uh, was there anyone on the show that you had a crush on? Yeah, half the producers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> half the cameraman. I'm like, could you hire hot guys next time? Because let me tell you something. The cast, I didn't think the guys were that cute. They weren't my type. And then, you know, then you see the producers, and they're not allowed to talk to you. The cameramen aren't allowed to talk to you. I'm like, this sucks. I thought, like, get me fired so I can talk to them. Because these, I mean, they were hot. I was like, oh, my God, you know? You didn't mind when you were, like, getting changed if the camera was on. You were like, woohoo! <laughs> you have something else. You know? But no, there were no Hawkeyes. And the Amy and Nick thing was, it was a little bit overrated. They didn't have sex until after they were fired. 
literally two minutes, by the way, because my ear was against the door in the hotel room. They <laughs> <laughs> do not have sex during the show. You can't. There's cameras all over. Right. And, you know what? They never really liked liked each other. It was just... Nick is a ladies' man. It's great. I think he's... Um, had affairs with half of California right now. I love them. You know, hopefully they'll be an apprentice all-stars because I damn well will be on that and I will be head-to-head with Omarosa. I'll throw her out the window. Oh, my God. <laughs> Last questions and calls and comments for Heidi Bressler before we end the call. Any questions or comments? I have a comment. It's Jean again. Heidi, I was so upset. The women were, like, right on, right on. And then what was it? The last three were men? Yeah. I think what the women's downfall was was bringing your emotions into the boardroom, and that goes in business. Women are sometimes more emotional. Where the men, I have to give them credit, they were never, except for Sam, and look at him, he got fired. <laughs> they were never emotional in the boardroom. They stood the facts, uh, they were very calm, they just held themselves great. Where the women were emotional, they chose based on friendships, they, were, they wouldn't look Donald Trump in the eye, they were begging him for not to fire him. The men would never do that. And it really, and sometimes the women, you know, they let the men take credit. Like with the flea market, they let them, they let Nick get all the credit for it when Nick didn't do anything for it. So that was the women's downfall was being emotional in the boardroom. And that's really where your true strengths and weaknesses come out. So that's what hurt us. It's definitely what hurt us was being emotional in the boardroom. It killed us. Excellent question, Jane. Hi, this is Anita from Chicago. Hi, Anita. I would like to know, how on earth did you manage to be the only person to get paid while everyone else was was not getting paid? It didn't work great. See, Donald should be listening to that. I should have told Donald that would have been the apprenticeship. Because (laughs) I'll never forget this. The week before the show starts, the psychologist calls you. She always has to make sure you're okay. Because I believe the first survivor that was ever done in Sweden, a guy committed suicide. And it's funny because it's, it's, I, I think it's great that they have a psychologist because Sam right now, I, I swear to God, he's like going through some really big problems right now because he just can't grasp that, the, you know, that he's not the ultimate famous person. Mm. But anyway, so I remember she's like, what do you mean you're getting paid for this? She's like, we've ne- she's never heard through it. All the survivors, anything she's ever done. I just, that's my sales. So I was able to charm and my manager's like, I'm like, you know, this is going to bring good business to the quest. I think it's a great thing I'm doing. And. You know, if you want, I'll take a leave of absence if you want. And he's like, nah, don't worry about it, Heidi. And I got paid. I got paid throughout the whole thing. And it was, it's amazing. So I never, I didn't lose anything by doing the show. Wow. So it's just, actually, it's by my smarts and my manager's stupidity why I got paid. <laughs> you know, it's a mixture of both because he should have been fired for it, to be quite honest. But he's so stupid that, you know, he's just such a yes man. That's another thing I learned from Trump. Never be a yes man or a woman. You know, it's just, it's horrible. If you just say yes to everything, and that's what he is, and that's how I got paid on it. It's a beautiful thing. Heidi Bressler, you are an absolute phenomenon and a phenomenal woman to boot. Thank you so, so much for being on this call. It's been an honor. So I had a great time. Love you, my dear. We'll be in touch, okay? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. It's been great talking to you. Good night, everybody. Good Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.